Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 101 of Yoga Land. Feels kind of exciting to be officially in the triple digits. Today I talked to Laura Burkhart. Laura has been a longtime student of Jason's, and she has a really impressive resume in her own right. She's currently a YJ influencer and is a regular print and online contributor for Yoga Journal. She's been on the cover of Yoga Journal Italy and Singapore. She teaches at conferences all around the world, and she is the first teacher to co-lead a retreat, I mean, not a retreat, a teacher training, a 200-hour teacher training with Jason starting this September. In fact, the last day for the early bird discount for this training is May 14th, so if you're interested, get on it. You can learn more about that training. It's five weekends starting September 14th by going to bit.ly slash Jason 200. But this episode is specifically focused on Laura and her coming out about being a yoga teacher dealing with a severe injury. This is a a collaboration episode with Yoga Journal and it came about in an interesting way. She wrote a piece for Yoga Journal a few months ago where she talked openly for the first time publicly about dealing with this severe injury. And I read it fervently and I thought I really want to talk to her. And then she wrote another blog post that's just gone up in uh, in tandem with this podcast that outlines what worked and what she's learned as she's getting through this injury. And it's a great compliment to this episode. You can find it at yogajournal.com slash injury recovery. And I will also link to it on the show notes page. So Laura and I talk about, I ask her to just tell her story and the diagnosis phase and because that is challenging, you guys. If anyone sustained an injury, you know that it just feels like it moves all around. You don't know what's going on. She had a lot of financial fallout because she didn't have health insurance. She had emotional issues. She was fearful. But what I think is great about this story is that Laura ultimately saw it as a huge wake-up call for figuring out how to continue teaching this discipline and doing this practice that she loves, but in a more sustainable way for both her students and herself. I'm really impressed with Laura's willingness to talk about this so openly and to let all of us in behind the scenes. I've had injuries before, and I think that this kind of talk would have helped me immensely. She is a very accomplished practitioner And she just is showing everyone like, look, I'm human just like everyone else. I'm trying to figure things out just like everyone else. And she's taking that experience and growing from it. Again, you can find the blog post that Laura wrote for Yoga Journal that complements this episode at yogajournal.com slash injury recovery and enjoy the interview. Laura, I am so happy to have you here today, and it's so nice to have you in person. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being so generous about the accommodations that are surrounding you right now. I love the accommodations. (laughs) Sophia's room is fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's not a lie, you guys. We really do do it in Sophia's room. And Laura and I both happen to be packing for trips. Mm -hmm that we are leaving on in just hours. So my house is like a tornado hit it. <laughs> so is mine. And Laura doesn't mind. No. no. So you're going to Bali today, yes, right? To yes. Yeah. I leave at 1am. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I still have some packing to do and some last minute doodads to do before, yeah. before going to the airport. 
Are you giving yourself a day there before you have to start teaching? Or? Yeah, I'm giving myself one day. I normally would give more time, but I'm literally getting there the day before. I teach the retreat. Literally after my last class, I'm going to the airport and I'm flying to Singapore, teaching there for one day, and then flying back. Oh my gosh, yes. you are doing the Jason Crandall oh, plan. It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. No, but I feel like I feel like I'm trying to pack it a lot because I don't want to be away from here in right. San Francisco too That's much. What and then yeah, so and I and I I already foresee in the future, like in June, I'm going to be away quite a bit. So I just I don't want to be away too long in San Francisco. So yeah, oh my packing gosh, it all girl, in. I feel you. Mm-hmm. I have just. Been there so many times. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, it's good. You guys, yeah. guys both have a very strong work ethic. Yes. And that's a good thing. That's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things today. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I, I'm so interested in, in talking to you about, we've talked about it briefly and we mm-hmm. get to kind of go in depth here, is your experience with sustaining hip injury through mm-hmm. yoga. And for those listeners of the podcast, you know, we've touched on this a little bit with Jill Miller and her first podcast that she did with me was about undergoing a a full hip replacement from years of repetitive stress on her hips that she thinks is in part due to yoga. So it'll be really interesting to hear hear your story too. And you recently wrote a blog post about Mm -hmm. it for Yoga Journal, which I think was really courageous and takes a lot of guts to just put it all out there. And I am a fan of putting it all out there. As everyone knows, I talk about my experience with depression and anxiety. And this is kind of a similar thing. It can be, I don't know, kind of tender to put it all out there for the whole world. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is sort of what was that experience like of writing that and publishing it and the aftermath? It was interesting because one, I didn't even think that Yoga Journal or anyone would actually be interested. Mm -hmm. I actually sent in a totally different proposal and it was just about being authentic. Mm -hmm. And my first proposal was about being authentic as to what you want in life, being authentic to who you are, not always responding to what society wants you to do. And that was more of my my first proposal. And then I said, oh, then I can also write this thing about what I'm dealing with with an injury. And I didn't think they would actually be interested or anyone would be, really be that interested. So I was, one, shocked that they were actually were interested, which was great. It was nice. Yeah. Um, I feel like that someone actually cared. And it was different to really not talk about having an injury for so long and then to go to the opposite extreme by putting it out there into the world, you know? So it was, and I wasn't sure how people would react to it. Yeah, to what be kind of response you. did you get? It was really nice. It was, um, for the most part, it was nice because I, I realized there were a lot of teachers who are experiencing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And seemed appreciative. And then there are other people who are either practitioners or teachers. They were like, I didn't realize that these injuries even existed, yeah. like as far as hips go or shoulders or whatever else. And like, thank you for just bringing awareness to this. So it was nice. And I, even after that, I, I feel like, you know, a whole book could be written on how for injury prevention or whatever else. And I'm looking forward to seeing even more things out there about this topic. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It does seem like it's time. It's oh yeah, just like, or like the right videos, time. whatever. Mm-hmm. Like and I feel like I touched the surface just putting things out there and I feel like a lot of teachers and practitioners sometimes they might feel ashamed that they yeah. got injured through yoga. Right. And 
what do I do with this now? Mm -hmm. How do I handle this? Should I even be practicing yoga? Should I, what should I do with my life? Yeah. And I know those were things that came up in my own mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the like psycho emotional Mm -hmm. experience, but I want to just have you talk a little bit about how the injury happened Mm -hmm. and like how the diagnosis phase happened for people who haven't read the blog post. And I will put a link to the blog post on the show notes page. And then you have another blog post that you're working on for Yoga Journal right now that will kind of complement the things we talk about today. But if you could walk us through how it happened. To begin with, my body felt fine. It felt great. My, I didn't have any, any warning signs as far as that my body was giving me, except for the fact my body was just tired. Mm-hmm. I feel like my, I was constantly pushing my body and go, go, go. I'm going to push for this. I'm going to demonstrate this. I'm going to, even at the time I was doing a lot of yoga videos where I'm using my own body or whatever it might be. And I didn't feel anything at all. And then one day I was coming into just the preparation for compass pose and I pulled my knee into my armpit and I felt like this, this really sharp pain in my groin. And I was like, huh? And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I just pulled my groin. And it caused a little more frustration to me than anything else. Like, I don't have time to deal with a groin pull. This is crazy. Like, I have X, Y, and Z. There was negative compassion toward myself for having an injury. And how long is this thing even going to last? At that point in time, just paying out of pocket, going to see physical therapist and whatever else, because also around that time, I had just gotten, I don't know if we say accepted or whatever you want to say, a proposal that I wrote for Yoga Journal for an article as far as these creative variations for yoga poses. And I was so excited. It was it was like a year and a half of sending proposals. I finally got this thing, which I thought I was so excited to write about. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this groin pool? And I have to, I have to like take pictures of these things in, in one month. And so there it's was- It's your livelihood. It's my livelihood. Yeah. And this was a very you know exciting thing for me. And so I was trying to go to physical therapist and this and that. I was still pushing. I was still going to classes. I was still demonstrating, even with this pain in my groin. I'm like, this thing is not going to stop me. And then it did stop me. And it's when I was actually demonstrating while I was teaching, being in side plank, I just pulled top leg, the injured leg into tree pose. And that's when I felt like an even sharper pain and almost a pop or something in my groin. Something happened and I still had to continue to teach class. And I just taught it and acted like I was not in pain, but I was in a lot of pain. And it was difficult to walk. And I was trying to not let people see that I could barely walk at that point in time. And, And then I had to teach later on that day and literally left the classroom and I was in so much pain. I just cried. I was, and then I was like, I have to go back and teach again, popped in an Advil. And even the manager, she's like, I can tell you are in, like, you are not feeling well right now. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, but I, when I teach, I didn't want people to see that because they didn't come to see me be in pain. They came right. to take a yoga class and let go of some of the pain in their own life. Yeah. You know, they don't need to see me in pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 From then I just kept seeing a lot of different doctors. I didn't have health insurance. So I was really freaked out about that. Yeah. And I went to what I did have, which is a great program, Healthy San Francisco. Love the program. It's been great up to this point, but going in there with this type of injury and not being able to walk. I mean, they said, we can't get you an MRI. We can't get you an x-ray. We can't get you to see an orthopedic doctor. We can't get to any of these things. We can give you crutches and an ice pack and a lollipop. And that's about as much as I got from them. And then, so everything else was out of pocket until I realized 
that the injury actually did happen in a studio. And luckily, thank God, I'm hired as an employee. So thank God, eventually I got workers comp to help try to figure out how to fix this injury. Otherwise, I would honestly, I would have been screwed because my health insurance, even now that I have real health insurance, because it's an injury that happened at work, they're not going to do anything about it. It's been a very interesting path, just even trying to, one, diagnose what I had, which took a year and a half. That's what I was wondering. Diagnoses can take a really long time. Take a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I went to this amazing physical therapist. The first uh, doctor that I paid for out of pocket, which cost $350, was a sports medicine doctor. And he's like, yeah, you pulled your groin. You know, you're going to be fine in like six weeks. And two months later, I came back in. I'm like, I'm on crutches. I can't walk. I'm in tons of pain. And he was like, I don't really know how to help you. And I begged him, like, can you prescribe an MRI? Can you probably prescribe me something? Give me some guidance. And after a lot of begging, he said, fine, here's an MRI prescription. And I came back and he's, he's like, I still really don't know what to do. And so, yeah, it was just a long process, a year and a half process of seeing acupuncturist, everyone pretty much addressing a groin pool when it took a second MRI to find out that's not what was going on with my hip. Was it yeah. an orthopedist who finally figured it out? Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. So, yeah, so they figured it out. My next MRI, which was a lot clearer, the first one wasn't great, that I had a year later after being injured. It showed a lot more details about labrum tears, about tendonitis, tendinosis, very deep tears in my glute muscle, and also tears in my hamstring, like near, near the attachment. So it, it gave more detail. Still, the first, the next doctor I went to was like, yeah, just some PT is going to work. And then the whole other topic with dealing with uh, workers' comp, I had to restart my workers' comp because the person who I was dealing with got fired and they said he wasn't doing his job correctly. So when I restarted, it was actually a blessing in disguise. I actually went to an orthopedic specifically for hips. Crazy wow. enough. Crazy okay. enough. And he's like, yeah, he actually, he's like, you are a prime candidate for surgery, but- Let's try these other things first. Okay. Yeah. So I want to just get into a little detail. Sure. So you mentioned some of the the issues that they saw with that second mm-hmm. MRI, hamstring tears, glute tears, glute tears. So do they think that those were sort of gradually happening over time and you didn't know it? Or do they think mm-hmm. this whole trauma happened in that one or two sessions? I think a lot of it was already there. So like this, the like tendonitis, tendinosis, probably some of the micro tears, things like that, sure were already there, didn't even feel them. Right. So I think that was already there. The labrum tear, it could or could not have been there beforehand. I believe it was created after. They do too, because it created so much pain. I actually have labrum tears in both hips. Just one irritates me a lot more than the other. Okay. But the labrum tears and also the glute tears and the, the the deep hamstring attachment tear, those happened around the same time. And I honestly huh. feel like part of it was from me already being injured, like from the first round from coming into compass pose and then continuing to push made it a lot worse and doing a lot of my regular activities mm-hmm. that made it a lot worse until something happened when I was demonstrating tree pose like inside plank. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the labrum is the is cartilage, right? That's actually it's kind of like a cartilage material. Okay. So it yeah, it lines the the hip socket. And what tends to happen is, and this happens yoga, other places as well, is when you have more of a, a deep hip flexion, meaning the, the femur bone 
goes a lot closer to the hip socket. Sometimes the femur bone hits the, hits the hip socket. And then during that, over time, if it keeps doing that, it can break or tear the labrum underneath. Okay. So, and, and, lot, and that's what causes pain. It's not something because it's more of a cartilage material, it's not something that just heals itself. There's not like blood flow, a lot of blood flow going in through there to, to heal. Right. It's not like a muscle tissue. Whereas the tears, so, so it seems like right now you're working on maybe the tears could kind of rejuvenate, heal rejuvenate or yeah. But, but the, when you said he suggested potentially surgery, what kind of surgery would that be? It would be going to actually fix the tear itself or kind of clean out that area. The labrum. The labrum. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the areas it's te- that's where it's torn to clean out the area. Also, a lot of times for people who have this issue, sometimes they, um, I guess they will shave the hip socket or that area back a little bit, the front part, so that the femur doesn't keep hitting into that area. So far, we have not gone down that route because when I've done other things like lidocaine to see if you numb that area, how does it, how does it feel? I'm still in quite a bit of pain. And same thing with like, do, now I moved on to cortisone shots and, and seeing if I numb the area, what else is going on? And I think a lot of, of what else is going on is from waiting, honestly, is from waiting so long to actually get this addressed that I think a lot of the muscles and the things around there are trying to compensate and mm. protect that area which has made it a little more tricky. Yeah, 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 yeah. How long ago was the that actual diagnosis from, you know, that second MRI? The second MRI was almost a year ago. Okay. Not quite a year ago. Okay. Yeah. 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 The second one. So in yeah. a way, a year might sound long, but it's actually not in the mm-hmm. lifespan of an injury. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what was it like for you... I mean, you've been through a lot since that time. And I was really happy to read in the Yoga Journal story that you, you've you been able to reframe it in a lot of ways yeah, and mm-hmm. see some of the positive from it, which is super impressive, Laura. I just like, I don't know, just want to acknowledge that. That's, well, thank you. that's like, that's the true yoga mm-hmm. to me, to be able to kind of just take what life is giving you and just whew, instead of pushing against it or resisting it, but to just kind of accept it and let it unfold and then see where it takes you. But I, yeah, I would love to know what was your immediate experience emotionally or psychologically when you finally figured out what was going on? I initially felt a lot of frustration, uh, frustration one with myself, frustration with why is this happening now, frustration with why can't anyone tell me what the hell is going on with my body like, mm. and how can I fix this and what is the timeline and then I, there was just a lot around there and a lot of fear also because yoga's my livelihood. It's been my livelihood. My my last internship in college was at a yoga studio. Mm. And since then, that's all I've done. Mm-hmm. That's all I've done with yoga. What am I going to do now? How long is this going to last? How am I going to teach students? And I normally teach from a place of what I practice and that's not going to happen right now. So, or otherwise they're going to ask me like, when are we going to get started? You know? So it was a lot of that. And then also I learned that when you have, when you're dealing with emotion or with the, with an injury, it can also bring up a lot of not just anxiety, which I was feeling about my future, but also a lot of depression, Mm. you know, just being depressed. And I'm like, I'm in constant pain like Advil, nothing is happening. And I'm just, it's just, yeah, it was just such like a depressing state and still having to go on. I can't take time off because I have to put a roof over my head and just even trying to teach in pain 
was really difficult. And there was a time period when I made a mental shift, which I'll talk about. But um, also during this time, I think part of it, like as a coping mechanism, was also finding humor, you know, with some things. Like, for example, like I couldn't put my shoes on. I couldn't put my shoes on because like I can't. A pregnant lady. I, I'm like, I can't put my shoes on. Like, because I couldn't put, pull my knee into my chest. So I had to move on from regular shoes, like like closed toed or whatever shoes to flip flops. Thank God it was summertime. And I remember at one point in time having to ask a woman who was probably in her 70s if she could help me put my shoes on. I mean, you know, and it was like Good so for you humbling. For asking. And it was so fantastic. Like, I can't believe I'm asking a woman in her 70s if she can help me put my shoes on. And then same thing when I was teaching, I would teach, you know, I was teaching and I don't know why in my mind, I felt the need to continue to adjust people and walk around, even though that's probably not what I needed to be doing. But there was times when in order to adjust people, I would have to get on my hands and my knees. Laura, you were so much like Jason. Uh, I got on my hands and and the problem was I couldn't get back up again. So I'm in the class. I can't even get back up. And so while I'm teaching, I'm trying to think about like, how can I get back up again? So for a while, I would just stay on my hands and my knees and I would crawl to the next person. You are kidding me. And I was just, just, just trying to like, like plan out how is like, how am I going to stand up? And this is crazy that I'm teaching a physical like modality and I can't even, I can't even stand up in my own class. That it's almost crazy. sounds like Laverne and Shirley. Oh, something. it was, it was crazy. So, so the first, this happened a couple of times. The first time, literally I had everyone face a different direction from, I went in the opposite direction, crawled on my hands and my knees to a wall and used the wall to help get back up again. And then I don't know why I didn't learn from the first round, but the second round, same thing happened. I got down, I'm like, how am I going to get up? And I would use my students' props. It was great. Use their blocks or whatever to try to stand back up again. So, I mean, in those moments, I was like, this is horrific and fantastic. Like, I just like, I don't even know what else to say. It's like, like, horrific and yeah. No, sometimes things are so tragic. You you have to see the human or survive. You have to. You would just just crawl up into a ball and start sobbing. You can laugh or you can cry, you know, and you have to, and at this point in time, you know, I just feel like I just need to laugh, you know? Yeah, I need to laugh. And very similar, it's like one time even walking to the park, I thought I was well enough to walk to a park, which is two blocks away from my house. I got there and I was like, I can't walk back. Oh. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so like, do I call Lyft or Uber? If people don't know who Lyft, what Lyft is, what do I do? And so I did this. I'm like, huh. So I did this whole side step back where I kind of walked like from like a side, like I did a side step. I'm sure people are like, what is she doing? <laughs> and then I would take breaks and I would sit down on people's like stoops in front of their houses and then I get back up again and I like do this like side shuffle, you know, and in it was- In San Francisco, everyone probably thought you were on drugs. They probably thought I was on drugs. They're I'm like, you know like, what? Oh, ecstasy. Right. And thank God it was San Francisco because this is like normal. This is normal yeah, here. Exactly. It's normal. If I were anywhere else, this would not be normal. So it was, again, horrific. I was in pain, but also in some way, twistedly humorous. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's like, you want to teach from your experience, but you don't want to traumatize your students with your sad stories. No. So your students, were they aware at all that you were injured I or how did you handle that? Um, some of them, it was you, there was no other choice to let them know. Cause I want, I have a brace on my leg. I'm coming with crutches and, oh, and half okay. the time I'm like, like at the very beginning, I'm sitting in a chair teaching a class and I, and I was like, I'm dealing with this hip injury. I'm still teaching my classes. Things are still quote unquote great. My students knew 
but I didn't go into full detail with them. I just, I didn't want to burden them. And that was more of where I was coming from. I don't want to, I don't want them to take on like my stress or my drama or whatever else. And then I would walk around it and adjust, which I don't know why I thought I still needed to do that. But I, because I wanted them to have the same experiences when I was, when I was well, and I wasn't really walking. I was more hobbling. Uh It was more of a hobble. So I think they could tell, but I was really trying to hone it in and keep it under wraps. So they knew, especially the people who came the first so many months, they knew. Mm -hmm. And after that, the way I moved around, they probably didn't think I had an injury because I didn't, I didn't demonstrate anything, but I would walk around and adjust people, but I didn't. Yeah. They probably didn't know I had an injury and they, and they still don't. A lot of people, the people who came to my classes, classes a couple of years ago, they do, but I, nowadays people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like you said, you were you went, were going through a lot emotionally, a lot of anxiety, fear, the unknown, the sadness, and then you were having to hold it together for your your students. What did you tap into? Like, did you seek any outside help? Did you just rely on your friends and family? Like, did you find a reservoir within yourself that you never knew was there, or, or did you just sort of keep moving and get through it? I feel like I pretty much kept moving, mm-hmm. and I would teach from a piggy bank of classes and knowledge that I had Mm -hmm. previously for the previous years. And I just pulled from that piggy bank. And, and I think a lot of it also comes from just putting aside what I'm going through and just being like, I have to be present in this moment. Mm -hmm. I'm, I can't, I'm not bringing in what I'm experiencing into the classroom that's going to go, that's when I leave, I can deal with that. I'm not bringing that into this room. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I think it was just more of a conscious decision. Sometimes it would be difficult if I was experiencing a lot of pain, but still I tried to put it aside. Mm -hmm. Was it ever a relief to be able to do that, to put it aside? It it was. And and one of the things that I, one of the things that I did a couple of months in was instead of focusing on my pain and instead of focusing on being depressed, instead of focusing on anxiety, that in and of itself, I think focusing on it is not serving me or anyone else. It just, it really isn't. And so instead I sat down, I remember one day I was like, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go down this path. I just sat down and I made a list of like, what can I do now? And that's what I'm going to focus on. And both on the mat, off the mat, what can I do right now in my life? What can I do? And I made a list. And once I made that list, I felt like this weight or burden was lifted off of my shoulders. And I actually became excited mm-hmm. about life again. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. Yeah. And it was just, and it was, yeah, it was just like this really nice feeling like of not having to dwell on the past of what I could do not being anxious about, I have to be healed by X amount of time. I'm going to let all that go. And this is, I'm going to focus right now. The only thing I'm focusing on is what I can do right now with what I got. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was such a relief. And then along with that, I also made a list of if, um, if money wasn't an issue, if I wasn't injured, like, what do I want to create? What do I want to create my life? Or what do I want to see manifest? And a lot of the things that were on that list did not require being super mobile. That's amazing. Yeah. So what were some of the things that came Well, like, like, well, the the things that I could do now, like on that list, I'm a big list person, things I could do now, 
even yoga wise, like I made a list of like, these are the poses that I know I can do, you know? And it was like, oh, a supportive bridge. Great. I can do, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna have a great time in supportive bridge. Yeah. Like Cobra pose. I'm gonna work on side plank or, you know, it's just different, different poses um, that were very simple, but it actually was really great. It was almost a relief in a way just to focus on the simplicity of those poses and it was actually nice. Yeah. I didn't feel pressure to do stick my toes down my throat. I could just do these simple poses and feel just as good. So there was that. And then also I started doing a little more like self-care activities, you know, which is something I wouldn't think about because I tend to put that on the bottom of my totem pole of things to do. But I started going to the pool, which I normally don't go swimming. And I stuck a buoy between my legs. I'm like, I'm going to swim with my arms. Oh, yeah. And it was great. It was like this like meditative underwater experience. Then I added like music and a waterproof iPod and turned to this like party underwater. Nice. And, you know, it was like, and then I, and then I discovered jacuzzis and like hot springs. And that was really nice. And it was just fun experience in that are like, well, I'm, I love taking walks by the ocean, but what if I just went and sat by the ocean and watched the ocean? Okay. That's another experience. So those were some of the things that I could do or even spending more time with friends was that's, that's what I could do now. And also even starting to write things I'm like I can write. Mm-hmm. I don't need, I don't need a mobile hip to, to write things. Mm-hmm. I don't need a mobile hip to help out other yoga teacher friends with their teaching careers or whatever, where they want to go. I'm like, let me see if I can help someone else besides since I'm in this state right now. So it was nice. And then also I went through some more trainings because I mean, even though I wasn't mobile, I just, I would either sit in the training or do what I could do just to continue education. So those were definitely some of the things and also coming up with my own or co-led teacher training. Yeah. So it just gave me time to get off a hamster wheel. And I think the hamster wheel that I was on was not going in a good direction anyway. It just, it's sometimes it's difficult to see where you're going unless you're knocked off the path mm. for a moment. And so uh, that part was actually beneficial and yeah. good. Yeah. And same thing with future wise. I'm like, one day I want to live in a house. You know, one day I want to, I still want to travel and see things. I would love to be um, in a more feeling wise, like, Currently in the future, I want to feel stability. Mm-hmm. I mean, living in San Francisco can feel very unstable. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to feel at peace. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like not just contentment, abundance. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think we focus sometimes even on feeling mm-hmm. rather than a circumstance that what you put out there for, as far as feelings goes, whatever that is, it may not be X, Y, and Z, what you think it is. Putting out a feeling, whatever is going to fulfill that feeling will come back. Mm-hmm. So I realized you don't have to be in a super mobile state and stick your toes down your throat and do circus tricks in order to feel fulfilled in your life. That's amazing, Laura. That's really inspiring. And, you know, I mean, I think so many people relate to this because we all go through periods where things don't turn out as planned. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's almost like that happened to you in a major way and you were left with this chunk, this thing to contemplate and that actually gave you time to contemplate the real stuff and like, what's really valuable to me? What's really meaningful to me? What's going to make me continue to feel like I have purpose. And it's interesting to hear that some of the things that maybe you were attached to that you thought like, like doing these really intensely physical poses, this article that you were going to do for yoga journal, et cetera, et cetera, that, that they felt so important to your values and your purpose and all those things, but actually ultimately they're not perhaps. 
Right, right. And I think it's important, no matter if someone is really mobile or not, to not get your identity wrapped around your ability mm-hmm. or ability physically or your um, capability or your work. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's where people should get their i should get their identity from. It should be something that's more it's deeper, more mm-hmm. meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and especially you know, I can't remember. There was an editor at Yoga Journal who was. I can't remember how he said it, but he said something like, at some point, we're all going to lose our mobility and our, we're all going to be quote unquote disabled. Unless, you know, unless you die very suddenly, we're all going to lose degrees of that physical identity. And actually, I was just talking about this with T.S. Little last week, that part of this practice, the reason we practice letting go in the practice, the reason we talk about that is because ultimately we will have to let go. We will have to let go of this realm and this life and this identity and this body. And you face that so directly with this issue of having to let something massive go mm-hmm. and kind of go. I, I really like the image of like, well, I really like walking on the beach. Okay, well, I can sit and stare at the water. Like that's huge. You know, that's Yeah. Yeah. That's well, huge. And it's just, I think it's just it's not just a coping mechanism, but I think it's just how like not comparing what was and what should be, but what is mm-hmm. and, and being happy with what is and making the the best out of what is. Mm-hmm. I think for, I've seen this a lot in my own life with people who I'm friends with and this and that. I think you, you can, people can get so wrapped up in their injury or a certain, not just injury, but a setback, a negative situation that their entire life becomes wrapped around this thing. Honestly, I've experienced that in my own life where I was dealing with years ago, like over a decade ago, like stomach colon issues, which is, I know is lovely to talk about. (laughs) Great. You know, and they got worse when I was away, when I went to India uh, for four months, it got really bad. I was in and out of the hospital for over a year Mm -hmm. and I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, all I could think about, talk about this and that. And it's like, this is just not, it, that's not a good place to live. Mm-hmm. And so I think instead of thinking about those things and thinking about the things that are, aren't good, yes, you need to take, make the steps to make things better, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't take over your entire focus. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, taking what you can do now and celebrating that and making the best out of that. Yeah. 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 And shifting some things, you know, when you're telling that story, I, I just feeling like I can relate to you in some ways, because I know that you have worked for at least a decade as a yoga teacher Mm -hmm. and you've worked really, really hard. And Jason and I have talked about that, that feeling of the hustle as a yoga teacher and you're teaching many, many classes a week and it's, it's stressful. And like, you know, you said you didn't even have health insurance and a big net, you know, underneath you. And, And I feel like I spent years kind of on the treadmill of working and I it's funny. I think it's a great thing to have a work ethic, but I look back and I'm not even really sure why I did it, except right. that I felt like I had to do it. Like I had to be responsible. And I was the person who always got things done. And I was a person who stayed late. And I was a person who made sure it was perfect. And na 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 na. And then I got really sick, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've completely changed what I do. Like I'm, this is a new thing for me. And I'm trying to actually make it a thing, a viable thing, so that I don't have to go back there and live my life on that just intense. I would go to bed at night, sometimes shaking, like Mm -hmm. thinking about the things I had to do the next day. And that actually scared me. That scared me a little bit. 
what are some of the ways that you've looked at your career and what are some positive shifts that you've been able to make in terms of like maybe working smarter instead of working harder? In the classroom and just as far as teaching wise goes, one, I don't want to teach as many public classes. I realized one, bouncing around, I still teach quite a few, but I'm starting to try to make it smaller and smaller. It's great. I actually love teaching public classes, but the amount can be very exhausting. I realize, you know what, my health is more important and I'm still trying to heal this injury. And this is not, this is not good for me, you know, right now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like there's, there's those changes within what it is that I am teaching. I teach very similarly to what I taught before injured, but I've made some tweaks. I've made some shifts in how to make things from what I have seen and from what I have heard, try to make things safer. And I want to continue to do that. And also just what I want to offer. I think why I'm continuing, I feel like I just am a constantly learning. I think we all, we all are, but I want to learn just different ways and different, uh, different paths down in yoga as far as like not just this vinyasa flow or an alignment vinyasa, but therapeutic yoga with balls. I actually relate to that one really well. Or even, you know, I taught this gentle yoga class. I'm like, wow, I actually relate to this practice. So I want to incorporate more what I relate to, even into my classes, even if it's merging what I used to offer and what I currently do, mm -hmm. if that, or what I used to do versus what I currently do. So I, there, there's that. Also, I'm personally wanting to shift. I feel like I'm on, I'm on one lily pad, which is teaching a lot of classes. And I'm also, I feel like I'm on a different hamster wheel right now because I'm, I'm also trying to create this other lily pad, which is doing more things that for me, for me, aren't going to be running around as much and that are interesting to me, which is doing more of the teacher trainings. It's doing workshops. I really, really want to dive deep in with teachers and dive deep in with practitioners and just go to a deeper place with people rather than in and out of a classroom. So there's, there's that as well. And uh, isn't yeah. it funny? Like you're like, it's like your back was against the wall and then you're like, Hey, I can step into a role as a, you know, you have done this long enough and you're experienced enough and, and wise enough that you can step into the role of teaching teachers now. And it was almost like this had to happen for you to step into that. Right. Right. And also I realized, you know, stepping into that, it's something that even historically I enjoyed doing for teachers. I have, I have a lot of compassion toward teachers a lot, you know, just for being one, just some of the things that I think could be easily answered just, you know, as far as questions like so funny, like, like how to like write a yoga resume, you know, things yeah. like that, like just these basic things that I'm like, it shouldn't have to be like this difficult for people like here, here's some steps on how to do this, or let me help you do this, or let me help you with this over here, where I feel like I'm compassionate toward teachers as far as especially, well, even no matter if they just came out of teacher training or not, like just, okay, you have this, where do you want to take it? And also compassionate toward teachers as far as like helping them create more sustainable ways of taking care of themselves mm -hmm. and sustainable ways of offering a practice that is safe. To, yeah. to their students. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is your practice like these days? You, me you mentioned a little bit about like the balls and mm -hmm. doing more gentle yoga, but could you tell us a little yeah, more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a gradual 
shift. Now, I, I wouldn't even say it's a shift. It's I've like slightly started adding on other things for my basic practice. So for example, I went from being in a supportive bridge pose to now I'm like, oh, I can do bridge pose. <laughs> this is great. And then and then it migrated from that, which is actually my, my physical therapists were encouraging me like doing more of a one-legged bridge pose, like, oh, you know, wow. getting wild and crazy with that. That and then actually more recently I actually tried coming toward, you know, order on your asana coming in toward like full wheel pose. Because the extension is not as bad for you. Extension's not bad. Flexion. That flexion's horrible for me right now. Huh. Yeah. So, but extension isn't. So it was really exciting. And not that I want to do that all the time. It was just like, oh, well, I haven't done this in two years. Well, this is really interesting, you know? So it's exploring, but I'm also being very careful. And a lot of the things that I do currently are things that would actually support me getting better, which is which is the, the bridge pose, supported bridge, which actually helps strengthen the glutes and hamstrings, which tend to weaken when you have a hip injury. And it is doing things like, uh, I, I do a certain supdipadigastasana uh, variation that actually pulls the femur a little away from the hip socket. Uh-huh. It's where you use two, two belts mm-hmm. and that feels great. So it actually good. helps take away uh, some of the pain and sending like using wall ropes to do downward facing mm, dog feels amazing. Best. It really helps out with with what's going on with my hips. So I try to incorporate things that are going to support me getting well. Mm -hmm. And then even more recently, I started going back to Jason's class. Oh, good. Yeah, which has been nice. It's been really interesting to explore that. I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the back and I look like I'm like in Legoland with all the blocks I have around <laughs> me and like a wall. But I, you know, and it's it's also been a really great practice for me that even, even when Jason says to come into something, I first think, okay, is this going to be beneficial or is this going to be harmful to me? Like, you know, at this point in my at stage, are this, is this going to be okay or is this not going to be okay? And then sometimes I find a modification. Sometimes I can actually, it's okay for me to do the pose. And sometimes I just sit in virasana, which is fine. It's great. And so I feel like it's, I'm exploring things, but I tend to go with the most conservative variation of what he's saying or mm-hmm. what's being offered. And I'm fine with that. That's mm-hmm. great. I get really excited. I'm like, wow, it's <laughs> great. And also really excited, like even maybe six months ago, I haven't done anything to actually stretch or open my hips. And so a year and a half of not doing anything to stretch or open the hips, I actually started doing a variation of pigeon pose, which feels good. My chest is still lifted up. It feels great. I'm still creating space between the femur and the, and the hip socket, but um, it's just like a nice way of opening up the hip mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and the other variations. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you think about, this is obviously a huge question Mm -hmm. and nobody has like the answer. So I don't expect you to have the answer, but I'm just curious when you're teaching your classes now, has anything changed in the way that you teach people the more quote unquote advanced poses, like the deeper variations of things? Yes, it has changed. I feel like even before being injured, I was sensitive to making sure or trying to make sure no one got hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. just the way that I sequence things. And, and I think I've become even more hypersensitive to that mm-hmm. just in the way that I instruct. I've, I've actually cut out quite a few things that I teach. And I feel like the classes that I teach, they still feel quote unquote challenging, but I'm trying to teach in a way that gives less and less, I, I guess, quote unquote error for someone to actually be injured. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think for some of the complex poses or the complex asanas, there are certain ones I think are fine. 
and other ones that I just, I just don't teach as much anymore just because I don't want someone ending up in the same place I am, or I teach a different variation of that pose. Mm -hmm. In any of most poses, don't try to go deeper. Where does your body naturally want to go? Mm -hmm. And you don't need to push, you don't need any more don't push trying to get in further and further external rotation or go deeper and deeper into the pose. That's something I highly encourage, just like listening to your body, listening to its own limits, because I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that a teacher was telling me to go push, go, go, go. It's me. It was totally. me doing it. It was me doing that. Like yeah. no one was telling me to do that. I was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was more like curiosity. Well, how far can this like actually go? Hmm. You know, can I wrap it around my head like this? I don't know. Yeah. So that's probably one of it. And the, yeah, there's different ones. I think things like Bakasana, even though that's not a great pose for me mm-hmm. right now, I think it's a fine pose. Side, you know, going more, more like a side crow, great. It's totally fine. Like there, yeah, so there are certain things you're doing, coming up toward handstand, toward the wall or a forearm stand. I think it's, I think those are all fine. I mean, if you have a shoulder injury, it might be a little different, but. Things that are within like a reasonable everyday person range of motion. Right, right. I don't teach anything and I didn't that much previously anything in the whole like lotus family hmm, you know yeah I don't teach anything of that yeah wow. I feel like it just takes a lot of to warm up for someone to actually to protect their knees and if yeah. you're constantly doing that I've heard of a lot of people who have knee issues because of doing it too much hmm. so I'm like well let's just don't even put it in there at all and I'm, and I'm okay with that yeah and yeah. I don't teach a lot of um like shoulder stand just because I feel like you need a whole like the 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 blankets and the props and this and that in order to make it safe you yeah. know so they're just but everything else a lot of it's safe and I, the way that I sequence I sequence in a way that we go from one side and I strategically do it in a way where we go to the other side without putting a whole lot of chaturangas in there uh-huh yeah so it's it's again it still feels challenging it feels like we're flowing and moving and but I'm trying to avoid things that could long-term create injury. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah. I want to come take your class. Oh, come on, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I said this on one of the podcasts and I'm pretty sure it's true. I feel like you maybe emailed me first to say, Jason would, is, would be up for a 200 hour training because I, I think you yeah. knew that like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't know that I, I would per- perhaps respond more quickly. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, and mm-hmm. just that he's just always traveling right. and his email gets full. And yeah, I remember getting that email and being really excited and not knowing what he would do oh, yeah. uh-huh. because, you know, because he hasn't shared a training with anyone yet uh, that's under sort of Jason Crandall yoga methods. So, so I'm really excited for you guys and, and really excited for you. And I just would love to know what made you reach out to Jason well, a number of things. One, I was already preparing or setting myself up to do teacher trainings. And one, it's with great establishment. I'm saying it's Yoga Works. Love them. I think they have a really great method. And I was going through that. Love it. But then I started thinking, I'm like, well, wait a second. I was like, Jason just offers 300-hour programs. He used to offer 200-hour programs. I've worked with him, like I started working with him at like 12 years ago, like in a more of an innate business setting. And then, yeah. and then also assisting and doing things later on and helping with, with different things. And I feel like he's not offering a 200 hour. It's not because he doesn't really want to, it's because he doesn't have time. Yeah. And so I thought, well, wow, I'd really like to support him. I respect him so much as my teacher. 
like, why don't I just go down that route? And so he can also offer like both a 200 and 300 hour, like, and I know for him, it was just a more, more time. And so I was going to go down this other route, but I was like, well, wait a second, let me check in with him. And I feel like just from just the amount of time I've just spent with him over the years, it just seemed, it just seemed like a good fit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I'm I'm so happy he's doing a 200-hour training because I feel like, well, that you guys are doing it together. Because I do feel that for people who want to come in at the foundational level, they didn't have that option. Mm-mm. And 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 it, it really is, even if you've done a 200-hour training, it can be valuable to, if you find a teacher that you really, really love, to start at the beginning with them and just, and that method. And then you, you just you get that through line. I feel like people will get the through line of the method, like starting at this, starting at the very beginning. Right. Which is really cool. Which is nice. And I I do feel like Jason is so, I mean, not to, I'm just being honest, is so good at what he does that I think that it's, it's almost like a shame that he's not offering a 200 hour, you know? And I feel like a lot of people would just really like that. And yeah, just really excited about being able to be a part of that and help out with that so that that, that offering is out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how much experience do you have having trained teachers before? I have experience helping out or teaching part of 300-hour programs. Um, mostly it's the art of sequencing. I, I, love, I love sequencing. So it's that section and also the business of yoga. I've taught that for, for so many years as well, which... Again, I'm kind of compassionate toward just because I feel like teachers, they go and they get certified and they're like, where do I go? And it's really hard. And I I noticed that in the very first teacher training I did, there were 25 of us. I think now there are three of us, about four of us that teach out of 25. And I feel like for a lot of them, some of them, I think some people, they just want to deepen their knowledge. Great. But I think a lot of people... They just don't know, like, where do I go from here? And like, and it's also letting people know there's not just one path. Mm-hmm. There's a multiple, like a multitude of paths that you can take with this and then just helping out with basic things. Like I remember for myself, how do I even write like a bio? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I remember just being stumped on that one <laughs> or even like, and I, and I remember also just, um, and still now I see a lot of resumes from yoga teachers, just from being at the Bay Club. And I used to be the yoga director after Jason. And then I continued to still look at resumes and help out with the hiring process. And there were some teachers who are amazing. They have some really great uh, offerings, but sometimes I'll ask them like, hey, are you going to send this anywhere else? I'm like, okay, let me help you tweak this a little <laughs> bit and write this. So it looks more presentable Yeah, uh, just to make them more appealing sure. to wherever, wherever they're. And I think they're great. They're just like, you just got to list things, organize things a little bit better. And then just letting people know there are other options yeah. besides going this one linear path of I'm going to sub and try to get on a sub list and do this. It's like, well, is that what you want to do? Or there are these other options, you know, that you can take to what resonates with you. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you love sequencing. You and love sequencing. Yeah, there you go. You and yeah. Jason. I know. I love sequencing. I really love. I love sequencing, and I'm really interested in teaching teachers how to teach in a safe manner because I think that's really needed. Um, that not just with the alignment with the verbal cues, and also having teachers feel prepared to once they leave the teacher training that they feel comfortable to actually 
teach and lead a class. I feel like for so many trainings that I've done that that component was left out Mm -hmm. or wasn't focused on much. And so really getting people comfortable or students comfortable who are going to be teachers with how to just lead a class. So they do feel prepared when they leave the training. So yeah, basically teaching safer, feeling prepared both to teach safely and to teach classes and also be very clear as to where, what do you want to do and mm. where do you want to go with this, if at all, or maybe you just want to deepen your knowledge. That's great. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. I, I, I think that's great that you've honed in on those. Those are, I would say the most important things you could possibly get from a, from a foundational training. Yeah. 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 Yay. Yay. So it starts in September, right? Yeah. September. Okay. Yeah. Mid-September to mid-November, five long weekends. <laughs> with Jason and Laura. Yeah, with Jason and Laura. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Laura. Thanks oh, thank for coming you. Well, today. thank you so it's much for having me. You. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing your new blog post on Yoga Journal and just hearing feedback from people on, as we know, injuries are, are super common in any physical endeavor. So I'm sure this will help a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no matter if you got injured at work, not at work, just in life, setbacks. Period. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All thanks. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 101. And if you are enjoying the podcast, I would so appreciate a share or a rating, a review, and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.